Hello and welcome to Science on Trial and Error. I'm Kasia Kuzmichkovalska. I'm the host of this podcast and a PhD student in developmental biology at ISTA. Yes, um, since I've started this podcast, my institute actually changed its name. We are back after a long break, unplanned but necessary long break, and there will be some changes, some new ideas, some new projects, but more about it in the next episode where I will be the guest. It's going to be a celebratory episode for belated one year birthday of this podcast. And if you want to be part of this episode, drop me a message on Instagram or to our email, error at gmail.com. And we can actually arrange a quick recording. Now, my guest is Katarzyna Szustak, my first professor guest, which I am so, so happy about. Kasia became a professor at the stunning age of 34 and she's now a group leader of the Laboratory of Functional Materials at IMP PAN in Gdańsk in Poland. Their research is primarily focused on photoconversion of energy and fabrication of nano devices. Basically, converting light to energy and transferring energy to other processes using materials with at least one of the dimensions below 100 nanometers, so not visible by eye. Extremely cool work and with a lot of interdisciplinary aspects and very, very applicable. Kasia got her PhD in chemical technology from Gdańsk University of Technology and prior to that she obtained her Masters of Engineering degree following individual interdisciplinary studies between departments of Chemistry, Physics and Mathematics also in Gdańsk. She actually shared with me how she managed to juggle all the lectures and exams between these departments in both space and time. Kasia is open to collaborations and always willing to take on new challenges. She's also coordinating different projects focused on sustainable energy. Recently, she was named one of 22 Polish women to watch in 2022 by Forbes Woman Polska. Oof, that's only a small part of Kasia's resume and we didn't even cover her extracurriculars. During pandemics, Kasia started an Instagram account called Science Mission, where she began to show simple experiments that can be done at home and explain science in the easiest and most fun way. In spite of the non-believers who didn't approve of her non-serious account, it's been a tremendous success, reaching now 25,000 followers. Kasia is also a mom of two boys and yes, don't worry, I asked her how she manages to do it all. I am so proud that Polish science has Kasia as one of her leaders and she can do a lot of good. She represents the best approach to research, she's supportive of her people, open to interdisciplinary perspective and seeking collaborations. I owe you and Kasia a full disclosure. This interview was recorded in October last year. Yes, it's rather shameful that it took me so long. There was a lot of different reasons, with the main one being my health. Kasia has been extremely understanding and I'm so very grateful I can now share with you this conversation. I think we can all take from her attitude as... Um, scientist who believes that science has to be shared with other group members, with collaborators and with general public. Please welcome Katarzyna Szustak. Hi Kasia, very lovely to see you and I'm very happy we have a chance to record this interview today. How are you doing? Where are you currently? Uh, now I'm in my house and Tomorrow I will start another hard week because I have two conferences, mm -hmm. one in Gdańsk and the other in Krakow. So I have to prepare a little bit for those two 
conferences. But typically, the day before Monday in the in the evening, I, I try to collect and grab my things to, to my <laughs> pink woman bag and and just uh, maybe a while of relax. That's all. <laughs> That's nice. Thank you so much for sharing your relaxed time with uh, me and the listeners. And yeah, w- with the conferences, are you presenting your work? Are you going to show some of your results? Yeah, uh, the first one is dedicated to uh, hydrogen energy and it's related to the hydrogen strategy that is prepared for uh, Poland. And together with other sciences, we try to combine and to be in the tight cooperation to have the common path how to introduce the hydrogen into the Polish market because we have different ways to produce hydrogen. So only if we combine together our experience, our knowledge, we can do, do something. The uh, second conference from Thursday to Friday in Krakow is dedicated to functional materials. Because in novel devices, in most cases, those functional nanomaterials plays a very important role. So... I can say that this is the idea of my scientific role, to know the material, the function, and to know how to modify uh, the material at the nanoscale to have the function that is required in some device. You are actually my first professor guest, and <laughs> you are running your own group that is called Laboratory of Functional Materials. The lab is in Institute of Fluid Flow Machinery of Polish Academy of Sciences, right? In Gdańsk, yes. in Poland. Yes, yes, exactly. The name is maybe more uh, historical, I can say, because, you know, in Gdańsk we have uh, shipyards. In Elblom there was a company fabricating engines for mm-hmm. uh, shipyards and so on. And uh, the institute was established in uh, 50s, uh, the last century, and it was very related with companies and with this industry. That is why the name is like that and stays like that. But currently, a lot of groups are focused on renewable resources, how to produce energy from wind, from solar, Uh, from heat, Uh, so different ways how to convert it from one energy to the other. And of course, a lot of people focus on those, you know, huge engines, wind turbines, uh, solar cells, and to verify the efficiency, modeling. uh, And within my group, we are focused on those tiny things that are not visible by a naked eye, but place very important role. Exactly. So I was trying to look into what you're doing and checking your Instagram as well. And what I found is that you are mostly working with photo conversion of energy, right? Yes. Also, how to store this energy, how to convert this energy, and yeah, photo activable devices, as well as I guess this translates into photochemistry, right? Yes. This was one of the things that I found, but I also found that you're doing a lot, a lot of other things in the lab. And I would like to kind of try to go through some of them that I was actually very curious. Yeah, so maybe starting with this photo conversion. You said you're working more of on the nano devices. Do I understand correctly? Uh, no nano devices, but nanomaterials. Nanomaterials, yes, exactly. I, at, at least one uh, of dimension is uh, below 100 nanometers. So we do not see them if we produce even them in a form of powder or plate that is covered by nanotubes, for example. We uh, cannot see those materials using simply naked eye. So we have to use a cunning electron microscope or transmission electron microscope to investigate how really this material looks like. And regarding the photo activity, we should prepare such material that absorb the visible uh, light. Typically, there are semiconductors. Mm-hmm. The most common is titanium dioxide, but it should be modified because titanium dioxide, as um, is commonly known, is white powder. So it absorbs 
mostly ultraviolet light. Mm -hmm. And ultraviolet light is only 5% of the whole spectrum that comes to us. So in order to grab more light, we have to modify, to put some defects into this material to change it. So knowing a lot from physics, chemistry, sometimes from mechanical engineering, we can apply different techniques to change this material uh, on the atomic level, on the subatomic level. And uh, maybe it sometimes sounds like from, you know, science fiction. <laughs> A little bit, I must say. <laughs> yeah, we can do it simply by hands, yeah. Some techniques we elaborated in our uh, lab are uh, very facile, do not require any sophisticated equipment. And then we observed, okay, our material absorbed more light and can convert it to electric energy, to chemical energy, or we can use then those energy that is captured from sun to other processes. This is very cool. So basically you are fabricating the materials and then yes. you are characterizing how they behave and then you are trying to go from this to something more applicable, like generating some prototypes or something like this, right? Yes. Yes, because I'm not working like a lecturer for students. I have only PhD students or students that would like to realize master or virtual degree in my group. So my scientific work is just only research, pure research. Mm -hmm. So sometimes we are starting from the idea, sometimes very risky. But, you know, if you would like to invent something or do something unique, it should be risky. You have to go for the risk. <laughs> yeah. And then we think, okay, how we'll produce it? What technique we would like to uh, apply? And also, because we would like to introduce it in the market, these techniques should be simple, should be easily optimized. We have additional requirements, not only, okay, we'll do it. And, you know, we have to buy very uh, sophisticated and expensive equipment, the same with chemical compounds. And additionally, within current times, we should also think about ecology, sustainable development and so on. And then after fabrication, the range of, of materials, because we change parameters, we characterize the morphology, structure, functional groups, and so on. And regarding the photoactivity, we have to verify it using, for example, photoelectrochemical techniques if the material absorbs light and then convert it into some energy. So sometimes among a lot of materials, we select one, two, or, or several. Okay, it is good, so we'll go ahead. No, it's not um, not science that you just take the material and do a lot of things. You know, yeah. take this, this, and this. You should first analyze literature, mm -hmm. think if it's reasonable or or not. Uh, just select and make some experiment in your mind. Discuss with other people, and then to to choose some paths that. You know, they are risky, but can uh, result uh, in, in a goal. I get it. I mean, it's a lot of conceptual work that has to come into play. Yeah. And, and you really have to think about it in, with so many aspects. It's not just purely basic science because you really need it to be applicable. So one of the things that I read about your projects, which is a bit more applicable, were those uh, biocompatible glucose sensors. So yes. I was wondering if we could talk about this. Uh, yes, yes. But uh, this is the project that the leader is my friend uh, from Institute, PhD Katarzyna Grachowska, and the coordinator of uh, the works dedicated to electrochemical characterization. Because always the leader is, is one and, you know, then you, you have coordinators and, and executors. And uh, now we are finishing this project. We obtained this project three, four years ago, and it is dedicated to non-invasive glucose detection. Because, as you know, uh, for a glucose detection, you have to... Pierce the finger, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Take a drop of your blood, 
output on the sensor weight and so on. And a lot of complications are with these punctuations. You have some problem with your skin. And especially this is a problem with kids during night when the glucose level can change dramatically. And you, sometimes you don't need to determine exactly that your glucose level is something point something. Sometimes you just need the information. It's too high, it's too low. Yeah. Do something, yeah. That is why, why it was idea to limit the number of punctuation, not completely eliminate because when you read out that sugar from blood, it's most reasonable and reliable detection method. But you can limit it using some other techniques. And our proposition is to use as the material the other fluids than, than blood, the interstitial fluid and the sweat. Very small drop of sweat is enough to have the signal. And because we are keen of fabrication of nanomaterials using scalable techniques, that is mostly anodization. This technique is used for uh, uh, corrosion protection. But if you apply specific parameters and you change electrolyte composition, you can fabricate very nicely ordered nanotubes that grow like a forest out of the plate. And it is very simple. You have just you know, mag, I can say, or cell with two electrodes, and you know the conditions you, you have the material. And because you have the forest, you have very developed surface yes. area. And when you remove this forest, those nanotubes, because they look like a well with a round bottom. So when you remove the, those tubes, you will have like a dimple. It could be like a honeycomb. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. yeah like a structure. Those wells have dimensions about 50 to 100 nanometers. Okay. And then you can put very tiny nanoparticles of gold. And after modification with the enzyme that is specific to the glucose, to the sugar, you can uh, have the signal, the electric signal, because the enzyme just meets the glucose molecule. And then you can record the, the electric signal. So, of course, it maybe sounds very complicated, but the knowledge from, you know, different fields of science like biotechnology, physics, chemistry and so on can bring you, you the success. And what's all very important in this project that you have to hear and discuss the results and your achievements with people, experience with different feelings. And also my background and this knowledge, the studies from physics and, and biochemistry helps a lot. Of course, yeah, I can imagine. It's really cool because your work seems to be very collaborative and it's great because your perspective is very broad because of that and you can gain insights from other scientists. But I guess it's also sometimes challenging to explain those very chemical or physical properties to, let's say, a biologist or medical doctor with whom you want to collaborate or to someone who is working more in technology side of things. So... How has it been for you? Is this something that you had to learn over time and now you are like really getting better at this? Yeah, I, I can say that it's like a life learning. I can say that I, I learned whole life from <laughs> the beginning. I, I cannot imagine that I have, uh, you know, even a period of vacations out of the science. And really it requires not only to, to learn, you know, what's changing within the physics or chemistry. The same with the, regarding the technology at all. Codes maybe in uh, informatics, electronics as well, because it's a ahead and when you think about some innovations that should help people or should be introduced into the market you have to think as you, as you underlined it will be like an intersection between different fields of technical science yes yes very interdisciplinary yeah that is why i always underline that i'm not a chemist or i'm not a <laughs> physicist i'm something between or or it's just technical science I think, you know, this is the future, really, to bridge these different disciplines and find a way to take something from one and the other and make something new and innovative. 
I guess now with the pandemics, it must have affected your work a lot because you cannot interact so much with people. But have you been able to maintain these connections virtually or has it been a problem? Regarding the projects or, you know, the people that I know from some time, of course, we met by some online conferences. It was not so a huge problem, but a lot of knowledge and new partners for a project, I simply met on conferences, not, you know, during those lectures, but between them. Just like coffee breaks <laughs> and the dinners and... Yeah, the same was with uh, my new uh, partner from Germany. We uh, met several years ago during some conference and now it's a very fruitful cooperation. I met him, you know, just after his presentation. But, you know, during the online conference, there is no coffee break that you, exactly. you know, just, it's a very huge disadvantage. But now, hopefully, I, I see that the progress, some conferences are announced. Everybody vaccinated and then things will be moving in a good direction. Yeah, but maybe, you know, I, I know more people, but I see there's more problem for young people just that they are starting PhD studies. The, for them, the conferences is the only way to see how the science in other places look like. Yeah, I think the networking aspect has definitely suffered a lot. I tried to attend some online conferences, but as you said, you can see the talks you can learn about some cool science, but the interactions are really, really minimal. And then you just don't meet someone and just start chatting about something random. And I definitely feel like I, I'm missing this aspect and I'm really looking forward to, again, starting to go and just see people that are not from my department. Okay, so we covered a bit of your work. It's really cool that you have this aspect of also making the prototypes. But I guess this requires you to collaborate with industry and to obtain maybe a bit of a different kind of funding to bridge to this aspect. So I was wondering, how has it been for you? Was it something that you only learn now as a professor and as a group leader? Or is it something that you already started to learn earlier? Regarding the, the funding, of course, we have basic science, yes. I have financial support from National Research Institute. But regarding the companies, I can say it's not so easy. You can say a lot of nice science, but the money, the cost, and you know how much of those things will be on the market is more crucial than the you know idea to help the people. Yeah, yeah, unfortunately. And also when I meet with some representative from the company, uh, she or he asked me, okay, uh, so just show me this project. And they ask for the ready product. And then I say, okay, but you know, we are not the company with the production line. You know, we starting from the idea from the very beginning, we can show you the prototype. And also sometimes science need uh, to be patient, need more time, need to repeat a lot of things to be sure, okay, this is the really our result. But the company told me, okay, you should have it within one year or, or less, it will be better. So sometimes this, this path should be shortened. You have to limit your fails uh, or some, you know, parameters. You should understand that those and those requirements are totally different. And, you know, probably every researcher won't like to work under the pressure. I agree, but yeah. Working together with the company is sometimes the, the work under pressure. The, the idea maybe can be missed somewhere because the cost of the material, cost of the prototype and the product that should be ready just to introduce under the market is the most important thing. So I am now on the level how to learn to, to make the good conversation with the representative from the companies, but also now a lot of things on the market changes. So still the, the work within the basic science and supported from some national funding allows to work really without those pressure. You know, you have time limit for the project. 
And you have to publish, but in general... And you have to publish, yeah. But to understand some mechanism or to have the most active, the best material, you have your own path. It's not dictated by the company. Yeah, I understand. Okay, now I would like to go back in time and ask you how the whole scientific adventure have started. Because actually, if I got my information correct, you're a professor who is under 40, so you're like super young and you're already a professor. But how did this start when you were a kid? Did you always like science? And uh, were you always interested in chemistry? When I was just a little girl, I like, you know, things as every kid likes. So I do not have a selection that I like, you know, chemistry or physics or Polish. I just like reading books very much. And my father really has very important role in, in my childhood because owing to uh, his engagement in my uh, education and my scientific development, as I can say, he just showed me, you know, how really the electricity look like, that those physics and chemistry that I see in the books is really in the real life. So I can do those things in, in his basement so that those technical things, not just chemistry or yes. physics, but just technology was very nice topic for me. And then when I try to select studies, I do not think that I okay, should select physics, uh, chemistry, I was not conscious, really, I, I can say now about it. I just would like to have something with technology. I try to apply to medicine, but I fail. And yeah, <laughs> I apply to biotechnology. And in the first approach, I also fail. Then I started to be a student after the, the second announcement. And I just started to, to study biotechnology. And uh, during the first year, every uh, student has those basic physics, mathematics, uh, also chemistry. Mm-hmm. And during physics lectures, professor, I don't know how he selected me. He sees something in my approach. And just after first year of studies, he asked me, okay, maybe you should also study physics and join my group. Oh, wow. And I say, okay. (laughs) (laughs) And then when I said, okay, I was really not so conscious what yeah. is the consequences <laughs> what did you uh, agree this? to okay <laughs> then i started something like an individual way of studies still i studied biochemistry biochemistry physical chemistry organic chemistry as well as physics so quantum physics mechanics uh, uh, physics of atom and molecules uh, and so on but you know to integrate those two direction within one year the same time it was very demanding yeah, I then i have the same subject with the same time so uh, the dean of chemistry department said to me okay because you are ambitious girl so maybe you will ask the other university uh, that you can realize some subjects in other university but in other semester sometimes you know i have some lectures in the chemistry department in glass university of technology and then i take tram to physical department to other university and then back that's crazy. to the chemistry <laughs> yeah i know that is crazy and my index it was a paper index look very straight because you know i have biology of cell and below is the lasers so yeah it was very unique but i can say now it was hard but really now i see that it was really good choice uh, because then i know how to conversate with people from physics and chemistry yeah and now i see that this background is really important yeah i can talk with uh, people from biology doctors i can talk with physics informatics so we have those connections yes but those five years (laughs) was really crazy i cannot imagine 
During those four years, because I started this individual way uh, after the first year, I also worked in this uh, scientific group oh, during yeah. Saturdays uh -huh. yeah, and afternoons. I just go to the lab to perform an experiment. So I started, like I say, master degree thesis during the second year of my studies. I also did that. I started to work already in my second year in the lab and it was challenging. I mean, I wasn't doing as broad studies as you, but I was also doing biotechnology. And sometimes, I mean, you had classes the whole day and then you still go to the lab and it was quite exhausting. But I guess what you also learned from this is how to manage your time very well, right? Because you had to. You had to really be very productive. I guess this also helped you in the future, right? Yeah, the same is now. Even I have, you know, several projects. Uh, now I have five, yes, five PhD students. Wow. Uh, but I still think it's, it's enough because also uh, I see groups where one professor have, you know, 11 or 12 PhD students or a lot of projects. It's not good. I see there is some limit to be really involved in the project, but those years helped me now to organize work and it's now a very fruitful experience. I understand. Yeah, so you did your master's and you got your title of master in chemistry, I think, right? Yes. And then you moved on to PhD, which was also in Gdańsk, but you also did a stay abroad. How did the PhD work out for you? Yeah, I started in Gdańsk University of Technology. I then applied for our own project. It was my first project. This uh, project supports financially uh, the research and some equipment and my attendances and conferences. Uh, and during those PhD studies, I performed abroad training in Bordeaux in France to know the new environment and to apply my materials in uh, different kinds of solar cells and to also to uh, know how to work in clean rooms and with other equipment that we did not have in our uh, lab. Another experience of like learning from other people and being very collaborative. What was the project actually about? It was also photo nanomaterials or? Yeah, it was photo materials, but dedicated to solar cells. The solar energy is converted in electricity and uh, those solar cells were semi-transparent. So they can be used like instead of windows or a part of the window. Ah, interesting. You finished your PhD, then you continued with your habilitation. And since 2019, you are running your own group, right? Since 2019, you're the professor, but I think the group was mm -hmm. earlier. This is super cool. And I feel like it's extremely wonderful that you managed to do it so quickly as well. It's, it's very impressive. And I was wondering, was it always the plan to be a professor? Or was it something that, you know... You started seeing this a bit later on. How how did you see your career when you were starting? I can say it's like um, in a Korean style because I read this weekend article about the Korean way of scientific career, that the researcher should be patient, should be focused on the work and, uh, you know, have time just for a work, but cannot think about career. It is like a byproduct of your scientific work, I can say. I uh, was uh, more focused on the research, on the project, on being open um, to other people. Because really, as you underlined the cooperation and to be open to other groups make those projects and my career, I can say, fruitful. I always underline that we are uh, working as a team. Of course, I'm a, a leader now, yeah, as a professor and I have PhD students. Only as a team we can have some good, you know, work, uh, good publications. I focus mostly on that and the career and the, the name uh, or those titles are... Uh, simply uh, like a byproduct of a, a good <laughs> and focused uh, work. Yeah, so just really doing a good research and then this pays back much better than than overly focusing on planning yes. everything ahead and like counting years and all these kinds of things. 
if you were to give an advice to younger students and people who are thinking about what they should do, something that you would tell yourself when you were younger, what would it be? Always do what you like to do. <laughs> yeah, that's a good advice. Uh, as probably everyone can say, but even if at the beginning is hard, I can also say that it was hard. My English was very pure, I can say, I can admit. And uh, when I was a PhD student, the scholarships were quite low. I provide private lectures of physics and chemistry and my husband helps me a lot. And even if you have very hard times, and but you like what to do, you should stay at this thing. Not everyone is, you know, should do science or not everyone should do some projects in engineering. But if you are convinced that it is the best thing you can do in your life, just, just do it. Of course, if some young people would like to do research or science because at the beginning it's interesting check simply the supervisor now we have open bases with publications with projects that people have the same i said during interviews when i asked people for a phd what do you know about me <laughs> exactly did you do your yeah. research just a basic selection if this person will be a good researcher. If, if you research your supervisor, or even if you have some conversation with my students or PhD students, I do not have anything to hide. But I see sometimes the answer is, I should check something. Or what do you know about the project? And in the announcement for an open position, I always put the popular science description of the project. And those candidates said then, hmm, <laughs> I do not remember. <laughs> this is one of the yeah, most important questions I ask during such interviews. So if you are curious at the beginning, then it is the way for you. But if not, and you just select some group just by an accident, it's not, it's not, not good. It's not going to work. <laughs> just after one year or half a year, you will simply change or, or left it. Yeah, you need to be committed. But I think doing research into the group leader and like to the laboratory is super important. And very often people are afraid to ask. But on the other hand... It's also important for you as a professor or as a group leader to have a group that works very well together. So you want people to be a good match, right, as well. Yes. And as you said, you have nothing to hide. So it also shows that this person is committed to have a good match and stay and, and so that this collaboration works good. Yeah, especially now we have everything in the internet. Yeah, if you are a good Leader, you will have the list of publications, projects, and so on. It sounds like you have so much on your plate. You are running a group that has several students and other co-workers and collaborators that you have to coordinate. As you said, you have five projects. And then on the other hand, you also started the social media science communication account and you are a mother of two boys. So I was wondering, how do you juggle all this? Yeah, how difficult it is. And also, how do you see this after already being the group leader for a couple of years? How is it, how is it working out for you? Uh, so first, this is the, the thing that I do not see my, my day as an hours for something, rather like a task or some aim I should uh, gain. Because in the former years, a lot of, you know, elderly people sometimes said, you should stay long days, long hours in a lab or at the desk to produce something. But really, I see that effectiveness and the focus on something it is the most important things, I think. And, you know, I stay at work till 3 p.m., sometimes less because of my kids. I have to sometimes grab them from the kindergarten and from school because I'm also a mother. And I do not stay at work 
to five to six. Of course, I then in the evening, I do some works. And of course, there are some hard times because, you know, I have to prepare some report, presentation, conference, and my kid went sick, for example. After some years, I learned how to ask for help, simply. It was very hard. But now I, I see that I simply can ask my friend, my father, my parents-in-law and my husband just help me. Or if I do not uh, do ironing one day, I can do it other day. Yeah? Yeah. Or I can simply buy a meal or do a meals for a couple of days ahead. Now I, I learn how to not to be the perfect in every aspect of my life. So uh, what is uh, also uh, my idea in the work that my doors are always open every time that they can go to me and uh, ask me for a help. Uh, as I said before, those focusing or available things that I sacked, not a lot of projects, not a lot of PhD students, not, you know, like people have more than 10 or 15, yeah, just to have more. You don't know what they do and like you cannot really stay on top of things. I agree. I think you are saying something very important, especially the fact about learning how to give yourself some slack, not always doing everything perfect and yeah. not always just expecting from yourself to do everything by yourself. In life, you can, as you said, ask for help. And I guess at work, you can kind of learn to delegate and learn to trust people yes there at work you know there are some simple things you know order chemicals you know look at some equipment at the beginning when the group was small i did it on my own but now we have a group of 10 people i have assistance for help with, with those things so then i do not have to worry about chemicals of course i ask everything do you have everything on the shelf you don't need anything but i'm uh, more convinced that other uh, person can do it i think this is important skill in being a group leader because you have to kind of understand also what other people are bringing to the equation and as you said you are a team and you are all working towards joint goals. Because, you know, there are different type of professors out there. There are some people who tend to control everything and micromanage everything. And then this creates a lot of tension in the groups. There are some PIs who kind of distance themselves a bit too much. And it's hard to even get some time with them. So I'm very happy to hear that you try to have open door policy, but also to trust your people and give them space to, to work. Yeah, it's it's not easy. It's sometimes, you know, we argue and it's not easy to have the group that you are familiar with, but still, you know, they should know that we are a PI and you're sometimes you should say, okay, we have to do like that because yeah, I'm the boss. And I see after... Probably the first year is always very challenging because they have to learn a lot. But then they know more. They just tell me, inform me, you know, they present me the plan. When there is a problem, they ask me for a help. And so not controlling, but mentoring. Exactly. A very important, <laughs> but a completely different thing. I would like to now transition a bit more into your science communication account, which is called Science Mission on Instagram. Yeah. Yeah, I find it very cool. You know, I have a younger brother who is 10 and I'm marking some stuff that I will do with him once I see him because I'm sure he's gonna absolutely love it. But just to give the outline to the listeners, the account is about science and you're trying to communicate it to general public and also to provide videos, how to do experiments, I guess, as parents with kids and also just for kids who are maybe a bit older to understand different phenomena of physics, chemistry, and just to give a, a bit of a scientific background, but also to make it fun. I was wondering how did this start? Were you experimenting with your own kids and then kind of went from that? Why did you start it? 
uh, missing to have the contact with other people like it was during the conferences. That was the, the first point. The second one is just to simply, I don't know, maybe it's too Larry, but just to share the knowledge. Because during those times, those pandemic times, I, I think that it will be just a waste not to share uh, with my knowledge or my way of interpreting the science uh, with others, because I do not have any lectures with students, uh, because my institute is not a university. Mm -hmm. I have some single lectures for PhD students, but it's, you know, one lecturer and that's all. And because it was a new platform for me, I asked my younger sister if such idea it makes sense, yeah, because, you know, uh, when you are going for the Instagram, there are a lot of young ladies, you know, <laughs> nice pictures and, and so on. Uh, but then when I go across some profiles, uh, like other PhD students show other scientists around the world uh, also show very nicely how the science can look yeah. like, yeah? yeah, what you can share and really people love that, uh, now I can say, because you can directly communicate with them. You are not just the lady from the TV that you can see only. Uh, and of course, at the beginning, it was very hard for me to understand how this worked. What are the rules? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, really, I'm still they getting are used completely to it. different. That you know, you can be experienced researcher with uh, you know a list of publications. But in Instagram, you are nothing. Yeah, you need the followers to... <laughs> you need the followers, yeah, and your titles and your experience. What is it? So, of course, at the beginning, someone was not sometimes um, believe me that I'm professor. And I always also had such a messages that uh, and now your profile is too colorful. Oh, really? Uh, yeah, <laughs> and this content is not good for Instagram. And I even make a picture and save uh, such a DM that if you reach 1,000 followers, it will be your life success. What? But, you know, I try to communicate with everyone and I try to make the scientific content and not to be controversial. You know, you can present the issue regarding the COVID situation, even regarding those other controversial things in the science or between the science and the, the normal life in controversial way and to underline, you know, that this guy is bad, this does not. But you can also present it crudely and to translate some publications to yes. evoke um, the papers, but in a such way that people do not hate you. I agree. So you don't want to have a fight with people. You don't want to steer the, the trouble. You just want to give it the information and to present it in a way that will allow people to think about it and maybe something will sink in their yeah. heads and they will then try to research themselves. Yes, or... yeah, of course. Yeah. Sometimes, of course, I put my opinion. I mean, I think they're also necessary in some sense to have these controversial topics tackled, but sometimes I get very stressed from these discussions and, and your account is just... I mean, it really goes to the basic of trying to convey the science and people excited about science. And I, I think you're doing a very uh, successful job with it. So I hope you will continue. I am very curious about what you're going to do next. Because, I mean, you're not only doing the experiments, but you're also explaining, as you said, some papers. And I feel like you try to make it quite diversified when it comes to the topics. So that sometimes it's about scientists and science life. Sometimes it's about some phenomena that you explain, like more the scientific background behind it. And there's also a bit of history there, which I really like. So how long does it usually take to produce the content? First of all, within the post, sometimes I put very serious uh, information, like regarding some uh, sensor or some illness. 
And sometimes the post is more light or try to mix light and serious thing like about this pink color. Oh, I love this I, Yeah, I so try, cool. Yeah, from the color and, and finish with the breast cancer. And of course, this way is very similar uh, as I'm doing from the research. Like I try first to imagine what I would like to present in which way and sometimes this process is time consuming yes because then when you know which photo you will take or what you will write it sometimes is two hours or three hours yeah and of course sometimes I ask my friends consult the content if it's good or not so I'm also open for the critics before I uh, publish it the same as you know during the uh, scientific work yeah. when you publish you have to be open for a you know meritoric uh, criticism so the same with uh, popular science content yeah and to catch the balance between in the pop and the science because if I focus on the science it will be okay we have this information um, but you know it will be for a narrow group of people yeah mostly maybe PhD students or other scientists but if I would like to go with my science um, to wider audience and also to pass a knowledge about some important thing, the technology that is go ahead. Sometimes, you know, this information is not provided in a mass media. It's not so popular. We have politics, scandals. And then the weather. <laughs> yeah, exactly. yeah, and the weather. Yeah, and that's all. What I would like to change that always we uh, in this mass media, we have Chinese scientists or American scientists show some. So I also would like to underlined that um, Polish science and, and Polish researchers are really on a uh, high level. I agree, yeah. But, you know, still, I don't know, maybe it's from the past, people are exciting, the Chinese or Korean or people from the United States did something unique. <laughs> I hope that it will change. <laughs> yes, and I think through work of people like you, you know, to try to really be available to general public, it may change because then people start to realize, like, we are not so much behind. We are actually doing a very cutting-edge research in Poland or, like, there are groups that are on the same level in our country. And I have a feeling that when I talk to scientists, they know it, but the general public they are still sometimes assuming that, yeah, we are behind because we don't have enough money and all this. But we actually now also the ERC grants in Poland are more frequent and there's so much collaboration. I think this is good that you're trying to make people more aware of this. Yeah, it was like with this uh, flu sensor, yeah. Uh, people was very surprised that to, in Poland we, we have such a equipment or small things that can really help and they are working till two years. Yes. Okay, so now moving forward from this, I want to go to this room for improvement question about academia. I usually ask my guests about this because I want to get a feeling of how people are seeing scientific word and research word. And I was wondering what for you is particularly something that, that bothers you and that you would like to change in academia or in scientific world. I think that we should support young people from the beginning of his or her career. Because, you know, you can even check if I have papers with my PhD students, they are always fierce because I know that they did the great job. And I'm the last author. There are also, uh, of course, the papers that I'm first, but I was the main author. I, I maybe prepared the review and I, I had the invitation. But my PhD students or students, they are the first authors. And when I did my PhD studies, and I also know that now in different groups, such way is not popular, unfortunately. And then how this young PhD student just after having this PhD degree 
will find some nice other group to join or find postdoc. Yeah. Uh, also, when we are thinking about the conferences and other activities, for example, chairman, I see only men uh, there, and mostly they are uh, above 50. Maybe it's very strange, but my uh, dream is that we will have like um, two persons uh, chairman. That one will be the, you know, experienced one. Not always men, but it could be women. Yes. But okay. the second one will be just a young PhD student or just after PhD students to learn how to carry on such a talk, to mo- how to moderate. Definitely. Because never during any conference, I did not see young person that uh, moderate the discussion. Yeah, it's still not very popular, I must say. I mean, Sometimes now I see this, there's like early career researcher, whether it's a postdoc or a young professor. But you know, early means probably about 40. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like this what I mean. It's usually yeah. not so young. It's, it's more someone yeah. who is like a beginning group leader, beginning PI. But I think here about, you know, double to have that you have PhD student and That's some nice. experience yeah. to, to be more open for activity with uh, those uh, young uh, people. And you know the situation in the Polish science is very unique currently, I can say. Unique word, it's only one word that can you know, describe, describe the situation. It, yeah. mm-hmm. So it's especially hard for me because I like work interdisciplinary. I cannot say that mechanical engineering is my discipline because now I have to select, you know, we can have the division into earth science, uh, technical science and social science. And that's all. The selection of one discipline when international projects that are supported from European Union should be interdisciplinary. For me, it doesn't make make sense. And and also, what is very important for me as a PI is to have the, the opportunity to learn how to organize the work group, how this group should be led. Because now I'm on additional studies. Oh yeah, I saw this, like management. <laughs> Project management. And I see, of course, some of my faults because I didn't know how to do some some yeah. things. And I think that some faults during leading some research groups, origins from not lack of experience in the science, but lack of the experience in the soft skills. Yeah, lack this. of management, training, organization. Yeah. Then, then you don't see the researcher in your PhD or in your students, still some people see the student or do not um, provide some free time, experience some fail and experience how to analyze the risk, for example. Giving space for the yes. students to, yes. to learn how to develop like an idea also, because I guess sometimes when you come for a project that is within a grant, it's already yes. designed, right? So you come yes. and you start working on it. And of course, there are a lot of challenges on the way, but this uh, experience of developing an idea from your head into something more tractable, it's, yeah, it's important for if you want to stay in science, I guess, right? Yes, yes. And also, of course, my dream as a scientist and a feminist is to, to have more women in technical science. It will be very nice for me. Sometimes, because you are a woman as a scientist, you can have completely different uh, overview on some problems. Sometimes it's not a scientific experience point of view, but I don't know, maybe hormones, you know, I generally have some experience from home, from everyday life, from kitchen, from uh, experience with the kids, because of course still we have spent more time maybe sometimes with them at the beginning, or we have other hobbies. And sometimes those things can really help 
how to solve some problem. Yeah, I agree that female, especially female scientists in technical fields are so, so underrepresented still. And I think you can say for yourself because you are not only female professor, but also young professor, and this is also not so, you know, well represented. I think it's changing and shifting towards the better way. Yeah, but also it doesn't matter that you have those regulations, that you have more and more females, because you have to reach some number, but also men should interact with you. Even if you have 50-50, but... Uh, females will be here and men will be there. It will ch not change anything. Yeah, the integration and the common acceptance. Yes, but that's tricky. But that's very tricky because you know, especially at universities, you still have a lot of, let's say, older date kind of professors who are very set in their ways and sometimes have a very misogynistic view on female role in science. I think the important thing is also to teach the younger generation to be a bit more open about this and then through this the change will come and also to encourage girls to go into science and to, as you do, show them what kind of life scientist life is and how cool it can be and I think this is already bridging a lot of gaps and hopefully this will change the whole society's mindset instead of imposing, as you said, these numbers and trying to fulfill them to really bring the change. And I think it would be good to see this. Hopefully we will see more of it uh, while we are still in science. And I think you have to be vocal about this, which is one of the reasons why I wanted to do this podcast and to have these conversations to hear other people's thought and like where should we go with science and what should we change so now moving forward from this to the last part two last questions one is cool science basically here i usually ask what is something that you would really like to do in addition to what you do currently like something really cool if you had unlimited resources in which direction your work would go so maybe we can start with that if you have any ideas <laughs> it's very hard because always i have limited budget i know <laughs> at first i think how we can do something uh, with less cost and then also it's really stimulate the creativity true uh, true limited <laughs> budget really makes you go more creative but you know when I started working in institute, I really do not have almost any equipment that I have during my PhD studies. And I start really from the empty space. And I buy an equipment by equipment. So the one equipment that it's like present under the Christmas tree, it's a table scanning electron microscope. Oh, yes. <laughs> it is, oh, yeah. Expensive, uh, expensive it toy. It is expensive, but when you are working with nanomaterials, it's, it's necessary, like yeah. an essential one. Uh, of course, we have collaboration and we can ask for help from other institutions to perform those uh, investigations. But when you have more and more projects, more and more samples, you should have equipment on your own. And now we are uh, working on the uh, modification of nanomaterials uh, towards the hydrogen generation using the water splitting process. And because uh, I was also engaged in the strategy towards the hydrogen for Poland, it will be like a holy grail to uh, elaborate the, the material, the Polish material, <laughs> that will uh, really uh, efficiently split the, the water into the, the hydrogen. That I always underline that we have so many inventions in, in Poland to introduce them into the Polish market, not always by the ready technology, because usually companies would like to buy ready technology from the uh, West and just to simply apply in Poland. Because, you know, it's a simple, quick, just the money. And uh, yeah, I would like to first to just do this and, and to apply here that it will be the polish polish technology that would be nice that would be really cool to get this to work 
Okay, so last question is the question about the dinner. I don't know if you've heard it on the podcast, but I like to ask my guests if they could have uh, a conversation with someone who really inspired them to do what they do or someone who is like a, some sort of idol, either alive or no longer living, who would this be for you? I will answer this question, I think, extraordinary. <laughs> At the end of every year, I invite my group for a dinner. And it will be like just this kind of dinner. Because every year I say thanks to them for a whole year of hard work, for their engagement, for their ideas, uh, for that they help each other if someone needs help. So just additional dinner in maybe some fancy restaurant. And of course, I select some place and I make some surprise. But of course, I take into account what they like and I will just select my group, that's all. Because, you know, I can read about some success of people. Uh, a lot of people probably will uh, uh, say about people that obtain Nobel Prize and so on and so on. But I think that we should uh, admire this, this time with the people we are working with. I think your people definitely know that you appreciate them. I mean, hearing this side, how you run your group... I like it because it's the more modern way, you know, like the more appreciative way, the more team-like way. Yeah, I like the sensor a lot. It also speaks to your character as a PI, which I think is also nice. Yeah, I think with that, I want to thank you for agreeing to do this. I'm super excited that more people can hear about your work. I love the interdisciplinarity of it. I love how, you know, modern and uh, very cutting edge it is. And I'm glad that people will hear that the Polish science is really, really going with the speed of science worldwide. And I'm very grateful that we had a chance to share your story. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for nice questions. I, I hope that everyone will understand this way how I look on the science. Thanks a lot. <laughs>